I'm Romy Newman, the co-founder and president of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Welcome to Fairy God Boss Radio. Today, I am joined by Kira Cordoba-Brown, who is head of ICG Talent and Diversity Inclusion at City. Kira, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Kira, you have had a long and accomplished career. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got your start? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting. My start at City is the one that I really want to focus on. I have been here for in June for 15 years. Very wow. proud of having been here that long for sure. And I have to tell you that my career started when I decided to tap into my network in a different way and also to tap into my strengths. What do I mean by that? Well, I started at City as an administrative assistant in our global diversity team. As prior to joining City, I was a research associate at an asset management investment advisor organization. And how did you end up in the finance industry? How did you know that was where you wanted to be? I didn't know that I wanted to do that. That's an actual statement. I started an, at an actuarial firm many, many, many years ago. And I then started as a receptionist at that organization. And I moved up in the organization and I got a taste for just finance or financial services and in a big way. And then after that organization, I moved as a research associate into this asset management firm because I got a taste for it. If I'm being honest with you, coming out of my situation out of high school and trainings that I had had before I went into the workspace, I would never have dreamed I would have been in finance. I happened upon it, if I'm being honest. That's great. You found a home there. You knew that it suited you and you wanted to pursue it. I like math. (laughs) And I knew that I wanted to pursue it. What I didn't know is that I wanted to pursue HR. Yes. So how did that come about? So I had a really bad experience if I'm being honest, at this asset management firm. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't a good culture for inclusion or even diversity. And I realized that I needed and wanted something better. But I didn't just want to move to another organization and just have a better job or a better environment. I wanted to be the one to help to create that environment. And in my head, I knew that that's where HR gets involved. And I'm not sure that I knew what HR really was involved in except for knowing that it stood for human resources. I really wanted to be that person that supported individuals from a human standpoint. So I tapped into my strengths, which I believe one of them is being an empathic leader. And I convinced myself that I wanted to be in HR. And so I went looking for a role. And the only role that I found that I could get into without HR experience was an admin assistant role in the global diversity office at City. But that was a step back at that point for you. At that point, it absolutely was a step back. But sometimes you have to take two steps back to go forward, right? And I think that's a smart thing to embrace and realize that's hard. And I know I've struggled with in my past career. It wasn't easy. It meant that I had to wear how I was supporting my family. I had to do that a little bit differently because I had to take back not only from a career perspective, but also from a salary perspective, honestly. But that's, you had real conviction that this was the right move to make. 
I did. And at that point, I was really at a crossroads because, as I mentioned, the experience that I had was just so bad that I just couldn't go on saying, I'm going to go to another job, just making the kind of money that makes my life comfortable, while other people no doubt are dealing with these issues in their place of business. But I have to tell you, I'm not sure that I knew that diversity and inclusion was where I would end up. That just so happened to be the organization that I went into as an admin assistant. So you fell into it. I say that all the time that I fell into it, but I grew to love it. And in terms of career journey, I actually then made it my business to create a rotational program, as it were, for myself within City. And oh, so, yeah, every two to, yes. yeah, every two to three years, I would consider a new opportunity in HR that would help me round out my skill set. So I have worked in the Global Diversity Office. That's where I started. I've worked in campus diversity. So working from the 30,000 level view to where boots on the ground. I've done program management, talent management, and diversity for consumer business, and now talent and diversity for the institutional clients group, as you mentioned. So I took advantage of what was available to me, and I've continued to grow here in this organization. I love this because (laughs) I actually was just talking about this concept of designing your work, which is about finding the job that's right for you. And so many of us would say, oh, I wish there was a rotational program. But you didn't say that. You just said, I'm going to make my own. And that is so smart. And also because we don't know what we want to do until we do it, right? Like you didn't thought you want to do HR, but you didn't even know what that meant. You didn't know what inclusion and diversity meant. So you kind of have to like feel your way into the role that fits you and feels right for you. That's correct. And be willing to take the risk to try something new instead of just resting kind of where you are. Taking that risk was the harder part, right? As I mentioned. And so I had to tap into my network. And when I mentioned that being one of the things that I had to do, I really did have to tap into not just my professional network, but also my personal network. And that means so much to me. So having real and honest conversations with my husband, with my parents, right? Because I wanted to make sure that what I was doing stayed true to who I am to who I want to be in the future and not veer off of that. Because ultimately, I could take a job or a role that's going to make me more comfortable in life, be more lucrative. But will I actually be able to live with myself and what I'm doing, you know, in my career? And for me, that was a big deal. And so I made sure that I tapped into my personal network to have those discussions. So can you share some strategies for our audience about how to make the most use of that network or how to feel courageous about reaching out? Yeah, I think, first of all, it's understanding what your network is made up of or who your network is made up of and never discount the fact that your network doesn't just have to be professional individuals that are in the same industry as you are in or want to go into. Those are always helpful and you should always have that. But you really need to have a diverse group of people in your network. You need someone who's going to spark interest in you, right? And say, give you a word or a phrase or something that's going to push you forward. You need someone who's going to call you on whatever weird ideas you're coming up with and someone who is going to elevate you and amplify your thoughts. So that's always important. And then you have to have the courage to say, I know this is not what you thought I should be doing, because that's often, you know, you're not going to follow their advice every time. I'm not following your advice every single time. I may not even be following what you think I should be doing with my life. But I want to be clear enough to say that I value your input 
And without your input, I'm not making up my full whole self. I'll give you an example of this. I recently had a conversation with a colleague who said to me, I want to continue growing in my career from a level perspective. And I said, well, to get into the world that you want to get into, you might have to take a step back. And she said, I can't do that. My family would see that as a failure. And I said, pressure to carry, by the that's way. a lot of pressure. And I said, well, let's take back. Let's take that a step back. Did your family ever say that to you? Or is that something that you're perceiving in your mind? And when she thought about it, she said, no, actually, I think my family would just be proud that I am doing what I love for a huge organization. And I said, okay, run with that, <laughs> right? No one has ever told you that they wouldn't be proud of you. So that's something in your head. And we have to sometimes, especially as women, get out of our own heads. That's for sure. So let's talk specifically about that, both for yourself and kind of with your broader mandate of inclusion and diversity sure. for city. How do you think gender played a role in your career and also being a woman of color? It's a really interesting one. I have to say some of my most influential mentors and advocates have been men. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Yeah. In and outside of city, they always saw in me the possibility of more and nurtured that possibility until I believed in it myself. And I have to say, and this might be a bit controversial, if I had been a man, I'm not sure I would have received the same support from them. I love that observation. Yeah. In particular, these men that helped me, I think it was something innate to them and how they viewed women in their lives as a whole and what those women did in their lives that they said they wanted to sort of pull people up with them. And as a woman of color, one of my managers, when I was working at this asset management firm, he was the one that pulled me aside and said, I want you to do more. Because again, I started in his organization as an admin, I'm always looking for my way to in the door so that I can then prove myself. And he pulled me inside and said, I want you to become a research associate. Here's what you need to do to do it. And I was the only woman of color in our very small company at the time. It just goes to show though, how much that sponsorship matters. Huge. And so how do you look to foster that now within city hmm. to help make sure that more people with authority and power are sponsoring those who need it? It's a great point. Something that we've recently launched within the institutional clients group for our Black employees specifically, we will soon take that further, but right now it's for our Black employees. We launched an advocacy program, a sponsorship program that is specifically for our Black directors. They're being advocated for and sponsored by MDs in the organization. The MDs are not necessarily Black themselves. They are just people who want to give back and want to move people forward in their careers. And we have meetings with them, with the protégés every month. We have meetings with the advocates every month to understand what are the best practices that each advocate is perhaps putting forth. What conversations are they having behind closed doors about their protégés? What are they learning about these protégés? Mm -hmm. Not only from a career perspective, but from a personal standpoint. Because the more you understand someone's personal values, the better you can help them even from a professional standpoint. And then we add a bit of accountability to that, where we have North America heads of functions that meet quarterly with each of the advocates to say, what are you doing for your protégés? And how can we help you open more doors for those protégés? So that's something that we're doing quite in a very formal way within the institutional clients group. From a personal perspective, I try to do that 
for the women in the organization, throughout the organization. Any women that I have become friendly with or know about their work, I amplify their work whenever possible. I root for them in broad email communications. I advocate for them when they're going for jobs and so forth on. So I try to do that my own part. I love it. And I think it is really important to build that discipline of allyship and kind of support for women because actually your CEO has been one of the big people to talk recently about have women been supporting each other in the workplace or not, right? And what did she say? She's talked about that. And she's talked about the fact that we have to be there for each other because if we're not, how are we proving that this is something that should be done? We have to start with each other first. And so she's a big component of that. I am as well as I would say most of the people at City. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that keeps me at City to this day is that we are surrounded by intellectually generous individuals. They're willing to give of their time and their knowledge to pull people up. And I think that's just a beautiful thing that happens at City. It's great. And what a nice way to feel. All right, Kira, this is a hard question. Tell us about a mistake you made and what did you learn from it? That is a tough one. I would say that early on in my career, one of the mistakes that I made was not using my voice, right? Not using my voice in a way that was impactful. I always felt like you come into the workplace and you keep your head down and you do a good job. And even if things are not working out the way they should, just grin and bear it. Yeah. Be grateful. As a research associate role that I had at the asset management organization, that was my big mistake. Mm-hmm. There were problems that were rearing their ugly heads. And I never said anything because I said, I'm just going to keep my head down and I'm going to, you know, grin and bear through it. Yeah. And that actually hurt me from right. an emotional perspective. So it that was you and hurt others. I mean, I think what's helpful and a helpful frame for me is to remember that when I speak up, I'm not just speaking up for myself, but I'm speaking up for others too. That's exactly right. And if I could add another mistake, yes. <laughs> now that I'm talking about all of my mistakes, would be that it's in the same vein of thinking that I have to be someone else to be successful. I recently more about that, yeah. Yeah. I recently was involved in an interview process where I knew that I wasn't as well versed in a piece of the work as perhaps another interviewee would be. And I did all of the work that I had to to make sure that I understood how to talk about this, that I had everything I needed to answer the questions properly. The mistake I made was that I took my own personality and my own ideas out of that process. And when asked by a really senior interviewee what I thought, I gave back what I learned and sort of what I thought he wanted to hear. Right, the answer you thought you were supposed to give instead of what you really thought. And he called me out on it, which I appreciate so much because I learned so much. He said, if I wanted to hear what the textbook says or what the top of the house says, I wouldn't be asking you the question. And I sort of took a step back and I was like, oh my God, I had to compose myself. And I wasn't even ready to fully answer the question at that moment. And I just said, can I get back to you? And he was like, fine. And after the interview, I sent him a note and I said, here are what my thoughts are. So I recovered even from that mistake. I did end up getting the job, but it was one of those things where if he even hadn't called me out on it, I don't know that I would have noticed what a big mistake that was. Right. Well, how about this though? You knew you were working for the right person, right? That's the person you want to work for. That's the organization I want to work for. Yeah, right. Right. That's going to push me to be better. And and, and like also that. with such 
empathy and awareness of who you are to know yes. when you're not being true to it. Yes. Really sure. incredible. Mm-hmm. Incredible. All right. Well, this has been a brutal 12 months. As I'm talking to you right now, I think we're right at the 12 month mark since we all went to remote we are. work. Can you tell us a little bit about how you've managed this kind of move to remote work and what's working for you about it and what's not working for you? At the beginning, I have to say, we none of us thought this was going to be right as long as it's been. So I took it in stride. I was like, oh, we'll be home for a couple of weeks and then we'll end up going back to what we're doing and everything will be fine. And as the months went on, I really started to feel my own sort of mental health declining because I am an extrovert and I do feed off of other people's energy. And just being in the same four walls, seeing the same things every day and making bread every day because it felt like it was the only thing that <laughs> you do. <laughs> I started feeling very much like I, I'm declining in my own spirit, as it were. And so it was tough, not to mention then all the violence and all of the racial injustice that Absolutely. reared its ugly head again during the summer. And in my role, having to relive that time and again, as I'm talking about it within the organization. And I have to tell you, there were several times where I was choking back tears as I'm presenting information about this, because I know it's incumbent upon me to be able to help the organization, but at the same time, feeling the effects of all of that. So I did take some time off, even though there was nowhere to go. Even if it meant to just sleep in an extra hour, I don't sleep in a lot. So an extra hour was a big deal for me. Or just even, I know that during the 4th of July weekend, even though things were still sort of shut down, but we could go out a little bit more, I just took a drive to the end of Long Island and just sort of walked around with my mask and my daughter. And we just walked around and ate lunch together at a picnic table. That was important for me to be able to just have a little bit of normalcy in this really abnormal time. Yeah. If we spend too much time sitting in it, we really get stuck. That's for sure. And I also know from our pre-interview that you got a puppy. I Well, (laughs) two years old, so she'll forever be a puppy for me. Uh And so that actually does help in my self-care as well. Yeah. Because it's forcing me to step outside. Yes. Right dogs are joy, right? Oh my goodness. I rub her belly like 18 times a day because it's just the best. (laughs) And she likes it too. Yeah. All right, Kira, I'm going to move into our fun, fast questions. Uh Uh-oh. Okay. Ready? So so. what is your karaoke song? Oh boy. I would say that some years ago when I thought a little bit higher of myself or my abilities, I would say it was My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. Yes. (laughs) Because I'm like, go hard or go home, right? right. (laughs) I also can't sing to save my life. So I'm going to go down to a little bit more of a more acceptable range. And I would say one of the songs that I've been hitting every time is Not Your Mama by J-Lo. Awesome. Yes. (laughs) That is also fab and fierce. Can you tell us about how you like to practice self-care? How do you find self-care? Yeah, I mentioned a piece of that is my two-year-old Belgian Malinois. She keeps me really on my toes. Taking walks with her in the morning when it's fresh and crisp outside. Usually there's no one walking outside. So I have some time for myself, quiet time, quiet with my thoughts. I also need to ensure that I block off time or spend time with my daughter and my husband. They bring yeah. light, laughter and love into my life. And I can't 
underestimate that enough. So sometimes I will just take off an hour in the middle of the day and just watch my daughter just sing and dance. How old is she? She's 15 and she Uh loves to sing. So she'll sing and dance different show tunes for me. Or My Heart Will Go On. She hasn't tried (laughs) My Heart Will Go On yet, but what she has been into is Barbara Streisand's, oh gosh, from Funny Girl. People. People? No, the other one. Memories? No, that's a different one. I can't remember the name now, but that being said, it's that one. Don't rain on my parade. Thank you. Don't rain on my parade. She's been singing that one and she's been doing so, so well. She gets better every time she sings it. So those kinds of things, I have to do them. Amazing. Who is one celebrity that you would want to have dinner with? Today, mm-hmm. if you ask me that question, since you are asking me that question today, maybe last week it would have been someone different. But today I would say J-Lo. Let me explain why some of your listeners might be like, huh, she has an affection for her. And I do. She's <laughs> had so much accomplishment. She's well, an that, incredible woman. And that's yeah. why, yeah. right? She's a Latina woman, as am I. She's a working mother. So am I. She's balancing all sorts of things, which I feel like I'm also balancing, although I can't say that I'm balancing as many businesses as she is. But she has a lot of help. She's a savvy businesswoman, which I certainly look up to. And, you know, she came from an urban neighborhood and worked her way up, which I did as well. She manages to stay relevant, which is also important in an industry that potentially looks down on aging women and she has managed to keep her wits about her. So she's someone I would love to have dinner with. Absolutely. She has sustained and had success in lots of different venues. And it was awesome to see her at the inauguration. Oh, she did great. Yes. (laughs) Is there a book you'd like to recommend to our audience? I would say, and this is a throwback. I mean, a real throwback. I would say if you've never read it, The book Player Piano by Kurt Vonnegut. Oh, I have not. I need a book. It's interesting because it was originally published in 1952. This is why it's a throwback. But I first read it during a sociology class and I was very impressed by it. It actually depicts an a dystopian society. Which we've got. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Where machines replace humans. And it delves into how two different individuals, it takes two different paths deal with that scenario. As much as I think about how it was written in 1952, and I originally read it in like 1997, I think about how real it feels today. Yeah. Where automation is taking over and blind faith in technology can be disastrous. And so we have to be thoughtful about how we use it and ensure that as we're using technology, because I'm a big fan of it, don't get me wrong, We are not dehumanizing individuals because of their status, whether they are poor or oppressed, as is brought out in that book. So I would suggest Player Piano by Kurt Vonnegut. Great. All right. And I have another hard one for you. Okay. So this is a fairy godboss tradition. It's our observation that women are just not as good at talking about our achievements. And we have to practice to get better at it. So I'm going to ask you to be a role model for our listeners by bragging about your achievements to us all? Oh my, this is a really hard one. Yes, it is. (laughs) Okay, so bragging about my achievements. I am proud that even though I did not finish college when I first went originally after high school, that I picked myself up and I finished as an adult. 
and that I graduated when I was pregnant with my daughter. And that is something I'm completely proud of and will scream it from the rooftops. And another thing that I'm proud of is that I reinvented my career in the middle of my life. I had already had my daughter at that point and I was, you know, I was grooving and I said, no, I'm thinking of doing something better. And I'm super proud of those sort of starting points. Within the organization, I have been proud to continue to grow here on my own merits, with my own personality, not having to necessarily conform to the way people think I should. Yeah. That's something I'm super proud of. But my biggest accomplishment that I am proud of to date is launching our Black Leaders for Tomorrow initiative within our institutional clients group, because we knew that there was a gap in the attraction and retention of our Black employees. And we wanted to do something about that. And I got the support from my leaders in my organization, uh, my manager and leaders that run the institutional clients group to create menu of options for our Black employees. I'm super proud of that. And that was born out of just seeing a need and filling it. And selling everyone into it. Selling everyone into it, yeah. yes. And we continue to grow different programming. I can proudly say now that we have some offering for our Black employees at every level, even starting with summer interns, all the way up to MDs. That sounds like quite a few achievements, Kira. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Excellent. Well, I have really enjoyed hearing from you many things, but especially about how you have been willing to take risks and explore on your own throughout your career, about how you've leveraged your network, and also about how important you have found authenticity to be, and even so much as to be called out when you don't present it, which I love. (laughs) It's been wonderful talking to you. To close, what advice would you like to leave our audience with? If there's one piece of career advice you want to leave them with? I would say, be yourself, push back in your own authenticity, and it's okay to let them see you sweat. That's great. Kira, thank you so much for joining us. Romy, thank you so much for having me. This has been a great pleasure. And I look forward to continue using Fairy God Boss for myself as I use it to learn about other women in the industry, to network with women, to read about job alerts and everything else. So thank you very much for the work you do there at Fairy God Boss. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.